This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 839 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Greetings, horse people. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is an excerpt from the Horse.com's weekly horse health report on the Horses in the Morning Show. The Hit'em crew is joined by Horse.com digital editor Michelle Anderson and Dr. Wickens for an introduction to the acronym-worthy International Society for Equitation Science. And we'll get right to our tip after this important message from StatelineTAC.com. Equestrians love summer. We relish the frenetic pace of horse show season, getting kids ready for pony camp, and even the mad dash to get into clinics with our favorite Olympians. The blood-sucking insects, however, not so much. That's where StatelineTAC.com comes in. StatelineTAC knows how important summer is to all horse lovers, whether they chase foxes, blue ribbons, or gold medals. StatelineTAC is your one-stop website for all manner of summer survival products for you and your horse. Fly sheets and fly masks, fly sprays and spot-on treatments, even feed-through fly control and barn misting systems. You can find it all at competitive prices at StatelineTAC.com. Well, we have Michelle Anderson, the digital editor of TheHorse.com, here with our weekly horse health report. Good morning, Michelle. Hey, good morning, Jamie. Tell us a little, I'm interested to know what you're going to talk about. We have on the phone Dr. Carissa Wickens, and you want to tell us to uh, introduce her, and we'll say good morning to her. Yeah, so, Jamie, I'm glad that you're on today because I think you're going to find this really interesting. Um, Dr. Wickens is with the University of Delaware, and she's here to talk to us a little bit about um, equitation science. just last week, I mentioned that the previous week I had been at the ISIS conference, which is the International yeah. Society of Equitation Sciences. Um, and anyway, so Carissa is here in the U.S., and she's going to tell us a little bit about what ISIS does and this research that's going on on how our horses behave and how they learn. Um, so let's start. Uh, Dr. Wickens, are you with us? Yes. Good morning, Michelle. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us um, to talk about this because I know this is a super popular topic with the Horse.com audience. Um, any stories that we do on equitation science are always super popular. Um, so I want you to, to start out with like, explaining to us a little bit what equitation science is because it seems like it's really a common term in Europe, but here in the U.S. we think equitation. I don't know, Jamie, what do you think when you think equitation? I've got to get in there and look pretty and do my jump course. (laughs) (laughs) Heels down, toes up, right? Exactly. Um, And have a nice jacket on and look good. (laughs) mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, Dr. Dr. Wickens, what what does it mean in the sense of equitation science? Yes, and and that's that's a good point um, as far as I think sometimes with the terminology, there's been the way it's adapted and and used is a little bit different, especially here in the U.S. um, versus with our our colleagues in Europe. Um, So let me me see if I can explain this a little bit and give sort of a a background and definition um, for the audience here. Um, Equitation science is really 
more focused on the training aspect and the horse-human interaction. So a lot of the research that the scientists and veterinarians and practitioners that are part of the International Society for Equitation Science are looking at has to do with promoting objective evidence-based understanding of the welfare of horses during their training and competition. And so it's really about applying and validating um, scientific methods that can identify when training techniques are maybe effective or ineffective and how that influences the behavior and welfare of the horse, um, particularly the competition horse. And it's also really a, a discipline that is lots of different people working together with different methodologies and different approaches to explain horse training um, to those that are using it out in the field and also really getting at learning theory in horses and trying to understand the horse's perspective in terms of how they learn um, and how our training methods may influence their behavior. And so much of what we do with horses and training horses has to do with tradition. What does equitation science, uh, how does equitation science handle tradition? Um, I, I think, you know, that's one of the, the themes at the conference this summer, um, just a few weeks ago, was, you know, getting this message out about equitation science and, and training and, and talking with people more about how our everyday interactions with our horses really can influence not only their well-being, but, you know, are, are they effective in their training? Are they learning what we're asking them to do? Um, some of the topics that were presented have to do with, you know, negative and positive reinforcement in horse training. Um, you know, and, and some of that, even when it gets into terminology, a lot of the tradition, um, you know, has been that people train their horses a certain way. There's always been a certain way that they do it at their facility or their farm. And I think what some of the scientists that are part of ISIS have been doing is really looking quantitatively at these methods, trying to come up with data that provides this evidence of, you know, what we've done in the past. Is that is that always appropriate? Is there other ways that maybe can be more effective in teaching a horse to learn a new task? Or again, how when we work with our horses every day, are we setting up their environment so that we're actually getting the most out of our horses in a way that is also very friendly and, and good for the horse? Um, I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to... Um, it, it does. It does. And so can you explain to us a little bit about what ISIS is? ISIS is the International Society for Equitation Science. It's a fairly young organization. Um, it's been in existence for about 10 years. And it's basically a not-for-profit organization with the aim of facilitating research into the training of horses to enhance horse welfare and improve the horse-rider relationship. So it really has to do a lot with um, technology and methodologies that improve the ridden horses um, abilities and, and again, the, their overall well-being in day-to-day life as part, part of their routine. Um, so it, it really kind of started out a lot in disciplines like dressage, hunter-jumper, eventing, um, but as it's grown and as we've had more conferences, the annual conference, there's been a lot of interesting topics and a lot of interest in expanding this to other disciplines, including um, Western disciplines, so the ridden horse in Western type of events, um, speed events. It's also starting to engage some practitioners and scientists that are really youth development focused. So as it relates to 4-H youth and how they ride and what disciplines they're involved in and teaching youth, so at a young age, trying to teach some of these approaches 
especially animal behavior and welfare, to our youth. Um, that will be kind of the future of the industry, really. And what is your role within ISIS? It, you played a pretty big part in this conference that we just had in Delaware. Yes, and I, I, um, I actually started out with my, my co-organizer, Dr. Kimmy Haleski, for the conference this year. She was my mentor in my Ph.D. program at Michigan State University, and so I was studying horse behavior and welfare under Kimmy's direction. So she really introduced me to ISIS. Um, I was about halfway through my Ph.D. when the conference was last hosted in the United States in East Lansing, Michigan, on the campus of Michigan State. And so as a grad student, um, I was introduced to the organization, met a lot of the practitioners and scientists, um, had read a lot of their work in, in writing my dissertation, and so it was a really good opportunity for me as a, as a grad student to help organize that conference. And so early on, I became a member of ISIS, um, so that was back in 2007. So I've basically just been kind of a, a member of the organization, try to attend as many of the conferences each year that I can, um, but really took on a more active role in helping organize the conference this past year. And then just this year during the conference, I was nominated and selected to be the new secretary for ISIS. Um, so I'll have a little bit more of a council member role with ISIS now um, going into the future here, at least for this next year. So this is my first year attending an ISIS conference. And the thing that really struck me was how international the, yes. the group is. And so where are some of the other places that the conferences have taken place? Last summer, it was hosted in the United Kingdom. So it was actually at the University of Edinburgh um, at the, the Royal Dick Veterinary College. Um, in past years, it's been in the Netherlands. In fact, there was, um, I think it was two years ago, they actually moved the conference to kind of mid to late fall. It was in late October in association with the World Dressage Forum in the Netherlands. So it does move around. It's been in Australia. Um, as I mentioned, it was in 2007. It was hosted in the U.S. So that was kind of neat. This year, we were able to bring it back to the U.S. after six years kind of rotating through some different countries. But it is really nice that that definitely opens up for you know, people, sometimes it's just if they can't travel, it, it's kind of been in everyone's backyard, so to speak. And since it rotates, it makes it, I think, a little bit easier for folks to, to make it to these very, very good conferences. Um, and again, I, I think we've really expanded. This year alone, we had almost at least 14, almost 15 countries represented. Over 100 delegates attended the conference. Last year's conference in Europe was quite large with over 200 delegates at the conference. And again, I think partly that's we have a lot of European um, influence in this group. So several of our colleagues are from the United Kingdom, from the Netherlands, um, and, and other countries around Europe, including Italy. And so when it's kind of more in their backyard, I think it definitely makes it easier for them to travel. Um, but definitely very well representation this year from different countries, a lot of different scientists looking at several different aspects of equitation science. And I am a dressage rider, and I um, have clinicked with a trainer from the Netherlands. And when she comes over, she brings videos and talks about equitation science and sits us all, sits us all around and goes over the theory behind why we're doing certain things on our horse's back and how we can get them to understand what we're asking of them. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you see or hope to see in the U.S. coming from uh, this work that's done with ISIS? Yes, and I and I think because one of the one of the really unique, um, very special, you know, 
aspects of, of ISIS is, I mean, even things from my childhood and growing up around horses, when I, when I work with a horse on the ground or if I'm, you know, if I've got a horse under saddle, there's so many things that we have done. You know, you mentioned tradition and asked about tradition and, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of feeling obviously with us as horse people that, intrinsically we, we think our horses understand what we're saying to them and even our, the tone of our voice, for example. And it's been really neat to see some of the um, some of our colleagues, and Cammie and I have actually done a little bit of work with our students in this area as well, even something as simple as conducting a study and, and collecting data on whether or not a certain tone of voice or a certain vocal cue means anything to our horses. And again, I think just intrinsically we think that, oh yeah, of course, you know, they understand what we're asking them to do when we talk to them or chastise them or, or whatever it is we're doing vocally with our horses, that that makes sense to the horse. And, um, you know, we've, we've used and, and built upon other work from other species, including canine work, and we've applied that to the horse. And so there was a couple abstracts that were presented at this year's conference that dealt very much with that question. Um, there was a group from Guelph, Katrina Murkey's, Dr. Murkey's, actually was looking at, at vocal tones and cues and how that, if it has any impact on the horse and are they paying attention to it and how do they perceive that vocal cue? Does it soothe the horse? Does it kind of Did they you know, find anything out? Aroused? Did um, they come up with a, a verdict? Yeah, and actually um, hers was looking at, um, they were recorded voices and she played these voices back to the horses in an arena situation and, you know, the, the title of her abstract was actually, Does the Human Voice Have a Calming Effect on Horses? And they did find some treatment differences in terms of a, a softer tone with a human voice actually appearing to, to have horses that are less distressed, um, particularly when the, the, the human is, is standing there outside the round pen and has their presence there during this plane of a pleasant voice. Um, so it, it would be interesting to that's... it would be interesting to compare that then that study with the human voice, compare it to music, and see if they had the same results. Yeah, and and actually, because um, there's been some some interest and some research conducted with that as well. Um, even things like when horses are weaned from their dams. So when these are young horses that have just been weaned and they're being brought into the barn situation are there certain types of music that are are viewed as soothing to the horse? And there's been some studies on that as well. And so those are the kinds of research questions that... It I assume it's so rap much. that's the most soothing for <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, you know, they're, they're because of the um, the key of some of the classical music, and, and surprisingly, one of the... And this wasn't even just with ISIS, the ISIS group. There's been some really interesting studies that have been presented at the Equine Science Society meetings. Um, those are the, the big equine science conference that are held every other year. They're every two years. And there's been some groups in Australia and some other countries that have presented similar work on the effects of music. Um, so it's, it's something that has shown up with ISIS conferences, but also some of the other behavior and welfare work with horses that's being presented at other scientific meetings. Um, but that's been something very interesting, too. So even certain kinds of country music, I believe it was actually, I want to say, a Johnny Cash song. My horse but, likes Johnny Cash. <laughs> There are really songs that, because of the key of the music, have been shown to reduce heart rate and actually have some kind of stress-reducing effect when it's played to horses that are in stable situations. 
Like when I hear the installed. train of coming, <laughs> coming round the bend. See, it's that low, calming tone of Johnny Cash. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I was actually reading your website, too, uh, equitationscience.com, and you've got some studies done on the evaluation of using a whip in show jumping, and yeah. then rain tension on your horse. Now, granted, this is big brain stuff. Like, to me, what I see is, Using a whip in your jumper. And, of course, you guys write it as evaluation of whip use and prevalence in the lead and non-lead show, blah, blah, blah. So, basically, <laughs> use a whip in show jumping. <laughs> so, uh, th- this is a fascinating website. I cannot wait to look. Is there a way I can subscribe to this website to see all the new media releases and studies that have been done? Because this is fascinating to even talk about on our show. I think several of the, the pieces of information and resources on the International Society for Equitation Science website, um, you know, I, I believe there is a, a member area, so to have full access to some of the information, um, you know, folks might want to consider membership if they're interested in this area of science and, and equine behavior and welfare work. Um, but there are several things on the website um, there are, you know, definitions um, that there's actually this entire page devoted to principles of learning theory and equitation. So there's eight key principles of horse training and how learning theory and training um, can be applied properly and really kind of teaching all of our audiences maybe some different ways of, of thinking about reinforcing your horse, for example. Um, you know, how can you increase the frequency of a behavior that you're, you're trying to achieve? What, what means do you have at your disposal to do that in a way that's also very effective, but again, welfare-friendly to the horse? Um, there's upcoming conference information. There are past proceedings. Um, so a lot of the abstracts that are presented at different conferences over the last few years, you can usually get access to most of that information on the website. Oh. And then um, on, on the horse.com, um, we've covered the conferences for several years. Yeah. And this year we had three people there covering all the abstracts. Um, we expect to have around 60 articles from okay. from the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and those show up in our uh, welfare and industry newsletter, uh, yeah. which mm-hmm. which we send out on Thursdays. So if if people subscribe to that Thursday newsletter, they'll start seeing those coming through in the coming months. Uh, we just posted one about the rain tension study and then also some videos uh, with Dr. Randall about her rain tension study. Oh, so, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll be having that stuff. So, yeah, it's really interesting stuff. I don't <laughs> Is there anything, um, Dr. Wiggins, that kind of shook your beliefs in in traditional training or anything that came out of this conference that really struck you as interesting? Well, one one thing that I have taken much more interest in and really want to, to understand better here with my, my appointment is primarily teaching, but I have a, a fairly hefty responsibility in equine extension and outreach for the state of Delaware and also help put on some educational programs in the region um, for regional clients. And last Last fall, we actually held an equine behavior short course, and that was kind of the first time with an extension audience since I've taken the position here at UD that I was able to kind of introduce folks to ISIS and and talk a little bit about equitation science. We talked a little bit with the audience about principles of learning theory and equitation, and so one of the things I really enjoyed and learned a lot about at this, this past conference this July 
was, again, getting the message out and, and how can we be better about sharing this information with our, not only our colleagues, but with our students and with our extension audience. So, um, you know, mostly adult and or youth clients that are, you know, actively engaged in the horse industry and whether that's, you know, whether their competition and showing their horses competitively or if it's more, you know, for recreation and, and trail that they have um, horses at, at their home. So I, I think what was helpful was talking to colleagues a few weeks ago about what are they doing in their classroom and with their, their audiences to try to explain equitation science. And again, like, like you said, the horse, having these articles about some of the findings that's coming out of this research that's being conducted you know, whether it maybe challenges something that, again, we've traditionally done that may not be the best way of, of doing something, or if it's just brand new information, like, for example, all the technology now with the rain tension and the saddle pressure, if we can understand how we can avoid back injuries in horses um, with the saddle pressure information, all of that data that's being collected, you know, are there saddles that, that fit better and how are they fitting better? And what does that mean to the horse and to the rider? So I think it's just this whole field of all these different topics that are so helpful. And so it was really helpful to kind of think about and talk with colleagues about, okay, how can we share this better? Where can we get this information out? And that's a wrap. To listen to more of the Horse.com's tips, just go to horsetipdaily.com and look for the experts drop-down menu on the left. If you love listening to the Horses in the Morning Gang, putting in their two cents on all things horse, you can tune in every weekday at horsesinthemorning.com for fascinating interviews, news stories from around the world, clever contests, and general horsey hijinks. And don't forget to support our sponsors here on Horse Tip Daily because they make these podcasts possible. This podcast has been brought to you through the generous support of StatelineTAC.com. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.